it was an intimidation factor, right? But it ain't gonna stop us. Can't stop, won't stop. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's what I like to hear. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, people-powered radio. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, an all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us as ever today. Uh, if you have, um, b- Thanks for joining us on the Bradcast. If you've tried to reach us on at bradblog.com throughout the day, you may have had some problems. The server there, for some unknown reasons right now, uh, our administrators are trying to figure it out, but the server has been unresponsive or very, very slow for much of the day. So I'm sorry about that. Hopefully we'll get uh, the problem taken care of soon, whatever it is. But you know what? Uh, if this was Election Day and Bradblog.com was an election server, there would be a whole bunch of folks who would be out of luck. This would be much more uh, worrisome than it is that you just can't get to Bradblog.com. I see what you did there. You took our problem today and expanded it to the massive problem that could cause for somebody on election day. Well, yes, hello. Uh, That's Desi Doyen. Uh, (laughs) Hi, Des. Hi. Uh, yeah, I mean, if it was uh, voter registration sign-in with electronic poll books or any other Internet-connected voting system, we would be in big, big trouble today if this was Election Day, the, you know, the one day when we all have to cast our votes. There are no do-overs. Now, of course, this would seem to be an obvious reason to avoid reliance on the Internet for any election-related, mission-critical activities that, you know, can't wait uh, a a few hours or days to be cleared up, like we're dealing with right now at Bradblog. But um, that, along with everything else we know about the lack of security on the Internet, none of that is stopping one state this year from using, for the first time, Internet voting. Oh, no. Yes. 
I wish it was no, but it is yes. Uh, an app that you can use from the palm of your hand on your mobile device, on your iPhone or your iPad or whatever. How convenient, right? Oh, so very wrong. Uh, at, at least if you believe, you know, computer scientists, security experts, voting system experts who have been studying this issue and this problem and warning against Internet voting for decades now. One of those experts, Dr. David Jefferson from Livermore National Laboratory and Verified Voting, he will join me shortly with his thoughts on this, this first state to use Internet voting in a real live election in the midterm elections right now. As we speak, what could possibly go wrong? But hey, uh, they're using blockchain technology, just like uh, what's used for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. So that should take care of any concerns or problems, right? Well, we'll ask Dr. Jefferson uh, shortly about that. Uh, OK, very quickly, some uh, voter registration deadlines this week. Uh, it, today, if you hear this uh, before the stroke of midnight on October 17, uh, you can register maybe in Massachusetts, South Carolina and Wisconsin. Registration deadlines on Friday in Nebraska, on Sunday in Illinois. And coming up next Monday, October 22, deadlines in Alabama, California, South Dakota, Wyoming. Get her done, people. This is uh, coming up. Don't miss out on your chance to at least try to have a, a voice in what is about to happen in now less than three weeks on November 6. Uh, OK, also today, as I woke up and uh, checked my iPhone for news, as I do, the New York Times was reporting that Canada today became the first major world economy to legalize marijuana. I guess that means if you don't count California as a major world economy, I think, <laughs> are we the fourth or fifth uh, we are, I think largest economy in, in the world? We're the fifth largest economy, and we have uh, here in California a yeah. larger population than Canada. Do we? Yeah. Oh. So, uh, but of course, we're not a, a country. We're for now. We're just a state. Uh, so, Canada, largest country uh, to uh, to legalize marijuana, um, and just below that, breaking news from CNN: First Lady Melania Trump's plane lands safely after smoke in the cabin forces it to return to Washington. <laughs> Are you trying to suggest that those might be related? I'm just saying, uh, not saying that those two are connected, but, you know, just saying. Uh, anyway, total coincidence. Whatever the smoke was, I'm sure it had nothing to do with Canada. Anyway, the First Lady is reportedly fine after that scare while being high up in the sky on her plane... <laughs> So anyway, so anyway, that's all the non-election news I got time to deal with today, Desi. OK, uh, because we've got these crucial midterm elections. They're now less than three weeks away, as I said, and problems are continuing to emerge around the country. So we will try to stay laser focused on those issues along those lines for some good news, sort of. Uh, Native American voting rights activists in North Dakota have launched an audacious plan, according to The Washington Post, aimed at pushing back against a U.S. Supreme Court ruling that threatens the re-election of Democratic Senator Heidi Heitkamp up there and that could, in the bargain, decide the fate of the Senate in the process. As you'll recall, the high court 
the high court last week uh, <laughs> decided, no, not in Canada, here, um, decided the last Tuesday to leave in place a state law requiring residents to provide an ID displaying a residential address rather than a P.O. box number if they wish to vote. Republican lawmakers in the state who pushed for this measure say the ruling, the uh, the rule that they put in place is to, designed to combat voter fraud. <laughs> Which, of course, is virtually non-existent and also it explicitly blocks the kinds of addresses that Native Americans use. But go ahead. Sorry. That's OK. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's not designed to combat voter fraud. It's designed to combat voters. Certain voters, in this case, Native American voters in North Dakota who helped Heitkamp win her first election in 2012 by less than 3,000 votes. So tribal officials and Democrats say that the law makes it much harder for thousands of Native Americans to vote, particularly those on reservations who do not have conventional uh, street names for their houses. The law specifically bans the use of P.O. boxes which are used by many uh, Native Americans on those reservations, it bans them as a form of address, rendering many tribal ID cards invalid. This law was actually on hold. It was blocked by the lower courts during the primary election, but now the U.S. Supreme Court, in contradiction to their usual use of the so-called Purcell principle, which is meant to stop last-minute changes to election laws, uh, the court used to claim uh, that, you know, such laws might cause chaos on Election Day. But now I guess they don't care about it anymore. Now the Supreme Court is just fine, apparently, with causing confusion and chaos and potentially here mass disenfranchisement on Election Day. We talked about it uh, a little bit more in detail with legal reporter Mark Joseph Stern on yesterday's broadcast. You can download it for free at bradblog.com if you can get to it. But now... Native American activists in North Dakota are responding. They've got a plan to create addresses on the spot for those who need them on Election Day. Tribal officials will stand outside polling stations on November 6th with laptops and access to rural addressing software and a shared database of voter names to hopefully create new acceptable tribal IDs right there and then on the spot for these voters. We've uh, talked about the fact that North Dakota is uh, the only state in the union that does not require voter registration, so eligible voters can generally show up at the polls and cast a ballot as long as they have the right ID. But that right ID has been changed in recent years, changed specifically since Heidi Heidkamp won by less than 3,000 votes back in 2012. The chief executive of Four Directions, a national Native American voting rights group, uh, said that the strategy was, quote, legally watertight, talking about standing outside uh, the polling place to give addresses to these folks who need them and new IDs. And he says uh, it is necessary to counter the devastating, quote, devastating court ruling. This is one of the least populous states. Um, and uh, as The Washington Post notes, the Supreme Court ruling here could prove decisive, not just in Heidi Heitkamp's election, but who controls the U.S. Senate. After uh, the November midterms, Native Americans were widely credited with delivering delivering Heidkamp's previous win in 2012. And that set in motion a six year legal war of attrition 
pitting the GOP-run state house in Bismarck against tribal leaders and voting rights groups. Census Bureau records show 46,000 Native Americans live in North Dakota, including 20,000 of them on tribal reserves. According to court filings, at least 5,000 of those on reservations do not have conventional addresses. So it's incredible to me that the U.S. Supreme Court allowed this to go through, but I guess I need to stop being uh, so surprised by what this particular court does. A succession of laws put in place since 2012 have disenfranchised thousands of those voters uh, on the uh, tribal reservations. During the 2014 midterms, for example, in Rolette County, which is home to the Turtle Mountain Tribal Reservation, turnout plunged from 45% to 33% after uh, some of these laws were put in place, while neighboring non-tribal areas saw no comparable decline whatsoever. North Dakota voted for Donald Trump by 36 points back in 2016. It's become a high priority for Republicans hoping to hang on to their slim majority in the Senate. Uh, and uh, they have been touting polls showing that uh, Congressman Kevin Kramer is leading Heidkamp right now by double digits, although uh, Real Clear Politics says the race leans GOP right now uh, with a polling average of plus 8.7 for the Republican. Native American voting rights groups uh, described the ruling last week as a ploy to depress the already low turnout among tribes. Matt Campbell, attorney at the Native American Rights Fund, said, quote, it is partisan and intentional, an effort at targeting na uh, Native voters. He cited official figures indicating that in 2012 there were just nine cases of potential voter fraud out of more than 325,000 votes cast. Voter fraud, he says, is not a problem. So, um, well, you know, hopefully uh, folks do show up this year. Hopefully there will be folks there to help them create the IDs now needed to vote in North Dakota. And, yeah, that's about the best of our good news on this front today, just to give you an idea of the rest of what we need to cover, which means, yes, we need to head back to Georgia, where we have been covering so many problems that we have jokingly referred to this as the Georgia cast of late. But frankly, I think uh, what's going on in the Peach State is emblematic of efforts that we are seeing uh, by Republicans across the country in order to keep minority voters from registering to vote. And or uh, now that early and mail-in absentee voting has begun to keep them from voting at all. According to Kira Lerner of Think Progress, which first reported on this, seniors in rural Louisville, Georgia, we're dancing in the street, preparing to board the Black Voters Matter bus to cast their ballots on Monday, the first day of early voting in Georgia. But the 40 or so elderly African-Americans were told by their senior center to get off the bus after they had gotten on it at their request to go and vote. Uh, the organizers of this event described uh, all this as live voter suppression. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution on Tuesday reported that a Jefferson County clerk had called the senior center raising concerns about allowing the bus to take the residents to vote. The county administrator later told the paper that the officials had considered the bus tour, quote, political activity, which is barred at county-sponsored events. 
The senior center, uh, the article uh, pointed out, is a county-run facility, but Black Vote Voters Matter is a nonpartisan group encouraging African Americans to vote in the election. The county government, however, considered the event political, I guess, because uh, Jefferson County Democratic Party chairwoman Diane Evans had helped to organize this particular event. And county administrator Adam Brett said in a statement that the um, Jeff County administration felt uncomfortable with allowing senior center patrons to leave the facility in a bus with an unknown third party. Ooh, scary. An unknown third party with a big black bus with black people on it holding oh, up a fist. That's that's super frightening because, you know, the scariest thing about it, of course, is black people voting yep. for them. Yep. Uh, Evans, for her part, said the event was not political. Its organizers uh, do not advocate for any candidates. And she helped uh, to coordinate the event in her capacity as a private citizen and a pastor and a community leader. Black Vote Voters Matter is uh, a group that has been driving across Georgia in their bus, plastered with those photos of African-Americans with raised fists. Very scary. Um, it is a nonpartisan, nonprofit at profit effort. Uh, neither the group nor the bus promotes any political party. Uh, after speaking with seniors at the Leisure Center in Jefferson County about the importance of voting, the uh, seniors there said, hey, can we get on your bus and go vote? And uh, once they did, uh, once they were all loaded on board, actually, they were out dancing first in front of the bus, all excited about going to vote. That's super scary. Yes. Um, and uh, then there a call came in and they were told to get off the bus. Uh, Latasha Brown, the uh, one of the co-founders of Black Voters Matter, said there was nothing illegal about the group's activity. She called it voter suppression, Southern style. She said she was very upset and angry. There are no laws in Jefferson County or in the state of Georgia prohibiting groups from transporting voters to the polls, according to Brown. Uh, she said the elderly citizens actually requested to ride with us. Jefferson County is roughly 53 percent black, according to census data. After the seniors got off the bus, they were initially told they could ride in a county van provided by the senior center to go vote. So uh, they got off the bus and onto a van and then they were told they had to get off that because the senior center's leaders decided it was too close to lunchtime and the seniors could vote on another day. Goodness gracious. Yep. Uh, that's what it's like. That's what's going on. The NAACP uh, called for an immediate investigation into this. The uh, seniors were so resolved, they said, uh, according to Brown, we're going to vote. Nobody's going to stop us. It's not the first time someone has denied them or tried to prevent them from voting. Remember, these are seniors. They were among the first voters to enjoy the Voting Rights Act back in 1965, which has now since been gutted by the U.S. Supreme Court. So uh, Brown said at the end of the day, every senior that got off that bus, not only are they going to vote, but now they're going to get five to ten people to vote <laughs> with them. Good for them. I hope she's right. And then there are those people in Georgia who did make it uh, to the polls for early voting this week. But for them, uh, the problem, at least near Atlanta, was different. Yesterday we told you about the electronic poll book systems that were down across Fulton County. That's Atlanta that prevented folks from voting for hours First thing uh, on uh, on Monday, the very first day of early voting. 
because they couldn't reach the Internet. Those electronic polling book systems, apparently. And today, on the third day of early voting in the state where the Republican Secretary of State, Brian Kemp, is both the chief election official and locked in a tight battle for the governor, for the governor's race against uh, African-American Democrat Stacey Abrams. Well, here's what happened today, according to WSTB, WSB TV. Channel 2 in Atlanta, local election officials are seeing lines wrapped around the building at precincts across metro Atlanta with early voting underway for this year's midterm election. Channel 2 reported uh, that the uh, main election office in Cobb County, that's the suburbs just northwest of downtown Atlanta, um, voters have been waiting up to three hours in line to vote. Ben Brash of Atlanta Journal-Constitution said the line is massive for early voting in Cobb County. People are parking along curbs. One man told me he got out of line after 30 minutes and got an absentee ballot. Oh, there's an idea. A hand-marked paper ballot. He said it looked like uh, it'd be another two hours in line if he had not. So almost 70,000 people cast their votes on the first day of early voting. That's more than triple the first day turnout in 2014, so that would seem to be very good news. Rachel Maddow reported it as such on MSNBC on Tuesday night. Lots of folks turning out. However, three-hour lines on the third day of early voting? That's not good. That means that election officials are utterly unprepared for what is going on right now. They have desperately underestimated the turnout or they're having problems with the speed of checking folks in with their electronic poll books or because Georgia forces voters during both early and election day voting to vote on 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen computers. And so it means that the number of available machines is limiting the number of people who can vote at one time. If they had hand-marked paper ballots, then as many folks as wanted could, you know, they could hand them a paper and a pen and a clipboard and they could vote at the same time. So it would be much more unlikely that there would be a three-hour line to vote. And yes, this is early voting. In theory, turnout is much lighter than it will be on Election Day on November 6th. So, yeah, good news that there's big turnout, but I'll have to qualify that by putting quotes around the word good at this point. Rachel Maddow also covered yesterday the story that we covered the day before here on the broadcast regarding the huge number of mail-in absentee ballots that are being rejected by some election officials for some unclear reason. As many as 9% of those mail-in ballots have been rejected as of Monday, with about 40% of them coming from one single county alone, Gwinnett. Lawsuits have now been filed against Gwinnett County and Brian Kemp um, by the ACLU and by uh, Marilyn Marks and her uh, Coalition for Good Governance. She's been on the show many times. And I'm happy that you can listen to the broadcast today and learn about what Rachel Maddow will be telling you tomorrow, <laughs> uh, or in many cases, years later. Um, that's the good news. But, uh, hey, if you stick around for my interview in a moment with Dr. David Jefferson of Verified Voting and Livermore National Laboratories, you may know, you may learn what Rachel may be covering later this week. Uh, as one state has now come up with what some have described as a solution to all of these problems, Internet voting. Oy. The state of West Virginia is doing exactly that right now in this crucial midterm election. So what could possibly go wrong? We will find out right after this on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial.
What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. A new poll finds that a strong majority of Americans have concerns that the nation's voting systems might be vulnerable to hackers in the upcoming midterm elections. Might be? That part of the survey's finding is roughly unchanged, however, from concerns over election security just before the 2016 presidential election, but... There is a twist this year, as AP notes. Two years ago, it was Republicans who were more concerned about the integrity of the election. This year, it's Democrats, which, of course, underscores the point that I've been trying to make for so many years here on the Bradcast and at Bradblog.com that concerns about the security and ability to oversee election results by the public are not a partisan issue. But it also underscores what I've similarly argued over the years, that it won't be until a Republican really gets screwed by our corporate-owned, non-overseeable voting and tabulation systems that there will be any real change to the system. For example, do you think that if Republicans felt that a foreign country like Russia or any other might have manipulated our voting systems and our election results in 2016 to install Hillary Clinton as president— that there might have actually been some real changes to our electoral system before the upcoming 2018 midterms? Well, I do, but that's not the world that we live in right now. The survey released on Wednesday of last week by the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy and the Associated Press found that Democrats have grown increasingly concerned about election security. Well, no rush, Democrats. Take your time. Even as Republicans have grown more confident in the existing system. The new poll finds nearly 8 in 10 Americans say they are at least somewhat concerned about potential hacking. That is 80% of Americans. 80% of the electorate worries that our voting and tabulation systems may be vulnerable to hacking. And while there has been a lot of focus on the fear of foreign intrusion into our non-verified computer-tallied election results, computer security and voting systems experts will tell you that the vulnerability from insiders, such as election officials and voting system vendors and contractors, is at least as high, if not higher. Well, I guess I should take some comfort from the fact that now 80% of Americans at least get part of what we have been yelling and screaming and warning about here for about 15 years, being called a conspiracy theorist at times for even uh, raising the issue, and yes, often by many Democrats. So 80% of Americans now get it, at least in part, now that we uh, seem nowhere closer to actually doing what needs to be done about this problem. 
And we certainly won't be able to make the systemic changes that are needed now that we are just weeks away from our national midterm elections on November 6th. At the same time, there is an industry of all new profiteers, as I see them, hoping to use such worries to make things, yes, still worse, while hoping that nobody notices, I guess. So far, very few seem to be. As reported appropriately enough at CNN's Money recently, West Virginians serving overseas will be the first in the country to cast federal election ballots using a smartphone app this year. A move, CNN Money reports, designed to make voting in November's election easier for troops living abroad. But election integrity and computer security experts expressed alarm at the prospect of voting by phone, with one going so far as to call it a horrific idea. The state's decision to pioneer mobile voting comes even as the U.S. grapples with Russian interference in its election, CNN reports. Still, West Virginia Secretary of State Mac Warner and Votes, that's spelled V-O-A-T-Z, a Boston company that developed the app, insists that it is all secure. Ballots are anonymized, the company says, and recorded on a public digital ledger called blockchain, the technology most associated with Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Votes is one of several companies exploring mobile balloting and recording votes on the blockchain, though until West Virginia's experiment with it in an election this year, the technology has been limited to trial runs and private elections like uh, balloting for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But I guess if it's good enough for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it must be good enough for use in American democracy for the most important election of any of our lifetimes. West Virginia will limit the use of votes largely to troops serving abroad. West Virginia Secretary of State Warner said there is nobody that, the, that deserves the right to vote any more than the guys that are out there and the women that are out there putting their lives on the line for us. Warner's office said four audits of various components of the tool, including its cloud and blockchain infrastructure, revealed no problems. So I guess nothing to worry about. Joe Lorenzo Hall, the chief technologist at the Center for Democracy and Technology and a longtime voting system expert, told CNN in an email, quote, Vote, mobile voting is a horrific idea. It's Internet voting on people's horribly secured devices over our horrible networks to servers that are very difficult to secure without a physical paper record of the vote. Marion Schneider, president of the Election Integrity Watchdog Group Verified Voting, was still more blunt, asked if she thought mobile voting is a good idea. She said, quote, the short answer is no. Here for a slightly longer answer is our longtime friend, Dr. David Jefferson. He has worked for years at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California, where he remains a visiting, if retired, computer scientist and an internationally recognized expert on voting systems and election technology. He's been a pioneer in research at the intersection of computing, the Internet, and elections for 20 years and has been an advisor to five successive Secretaries of State of California on technology-related issues, specifically on voting technology. He spent many years warning about the dangers of Internet voting, 
now including the newest trend, blockchain voting, which for some reason many young entrepreneurs and advocates, I might call some of them profiteers, as I did, these uh, folks who cite the answer to all of our Internet voting worries as blockchain. Dr. Jefferson is a longtime member of the boards of directors of the California Voter Foundation and of VerifiedVoting.org, both nonprofit, nonpartisan organizations devoting, devoted to promoting open, secure election technology. Dr. Jefferson, it is always a pleasure to speak uh, with someone who's been on this beat even longer than me, my friend. So welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thanks, Brad. I'm glad to be here. I want to talk about your specific concerns detailed in a short paper that you published recently uh, at Verified Voting titled The Myth of Secure Blockchain Voting. But let's focus on West Virginia's use of this technology for a second, because I believe it's it's currently right now in use for early and overseas voting. Uh, Internet voting proponents have tried this over and over again. I know that years ago you worked on a Pentagon proposal for uh, internet voting during uh, George W. Bush, if I'm recalling correctly, that you helped stop back then, stop that proposal because it was not secure. At the time, uh, and in subsequent attempts, uh, the conclusion of experts has always been that the internet, as it is currently built, is simply not secure for internet voting. Uh, maybe years down the road it would be, but not now. Well, David, we are some years down the road. Is is that still true today as you see it? Uh Yes, nothing has changed for the better regarding uh, the prospects for secure Internet voting. The Internet, if anything, is a more dangerous place than it was when we uh, wrote that report about the Pentagon Internet mm -hmm. voting system that was proposed in, like, 2003. Mm -hmm. uh, the situation is much worse now, and it, uh, it's much less defensible to even consider it. Mm. Do, do you have uh, specific concerns about this? votes app that is being used in West Virginia, or are they the same general concerns that you've had uh, for so many years when it comes to Internet voting, whether it uses so-called blockchain technology or not? Yes, yeah, so it's basically the same concerns we've always had. The, mm -hmm. uh, so let me explain how the votes app works and mm -hmm. why, it, why um, the blockchain uh, back end of it doesn't do anything more to secure an election than any of the other technologies do. Mm -hmm. So the, w the way it works is a, a voter uh, goes online on his smartphone, say, and the fact that it's a smartphone as opposed to a laptop computer or a desktop computer doesn't make any significant difference at all. But anyway, you, go, you, uh, you use the Votes app on your smartphone. Mm -hmm. It downloads a blank ballot to your phone after you authenticate yourself, mm -hmm. and we can talk about how you identify yourself as a as a voter in West Virginia um, at, at some later point. Mm -hmm. But after you identify yourself, you download a blank ballot, you make your choices on the on the ballot on the screen of your phone, mm -hmm. and at the end you send it back, you click the um, cast my vote button, and mm -hmm. it sends your ballot back. And uh, when the ballot gets back to a server, it's then put on a blockchain. Um, the blockchain is, uh, is just a ballot containers, a little bit like a database. It's different from a classical database, but, a, but for our purposes of this conversation, it's just mm -hmm. a container for all of the ballots. And then those ballots, after, after they're all collected and uh, at the end of the election day, they are counted. Um, so the, the blockchain does not do anything. It doesn't even play a role un, 
uh, until the very last stage of balloting, after you've authenticated yourself, after you've made your ballot choices, after you've transmitted them back. Mm-hmm. Only then does the blockchain um, play any role. And it, it's the, basically the role it played storage medium for it. It's a, it's, um, it you, you yeah. broke up there a little bit. You said it's a storage medium. And let me just take the chance, the opportunity sure. to jump in here. So just to make sure I understand, because we, we uh, you know, I've heard this a lot. I'm, I know you have probably heard a lot on, on Twitter and everywhere else. People saying, oh, let's use blockchain for voting. That will solve all the problems. When we're talking about blockchain in this uh, in this case, please help me understand if I got this right. Essentially, uh, votes are stored somewhere. Right now, they're stored uh, in in all of these other uh, you know non-internet voting cases. They're stored on a on a database server somewhere, whether it's at the Secretary of State's office or the county election office or uh, you know whatever private contractor that they have. Uh, contracted to uh, you know to to store all of these votes, but with blockchain, it's sort of a distributed database on a whole bunch of systems, which in theory would make it more difficult to go in after an election and corrupt that specific database without it suddenly becoming you know not matching all of the other distributed copies of this database. Is that yeah, does that well, make sense? Let me try to explain it. So okay. Um, Yes, a blockchain is a distributed structure, so it means it's spread over a number of computers, mm-hmm. and uh, the computers may be um, widely geographically distributed in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, that much is true. Uh, of course, you can do the same thing with a non-blockchain database. You can make a, uh, a you know, have redundant databases mm-hmm. stored in several places in the United States. So that alone does not distinguish it from the classic uh, database. Um, implementation mm-hmm. um, compared to a blockchain. But the, the, the main concern is that all of the most serious threats to Internet voting occur before the ballot even ever gets back to uh, either the database or mm-hmm. the blockchain. Mm-hmm. In other words, the actual security threats to Internet voting are not involved with the back end at all, whether, whether it's a blockchain or a database. The real threats that blockchains do nothing about are one, voter authentication. How do you determine that the person who is casting the ballot is actually who he says he is mm-hmm. and is an actual registered voter in the jurisdiction that he's trying to vote in? Mm-hmm. Um, the blockchain does nothing about that. Mm-hmm. Um, what if there is malware on the phone or the computer that the person is voting from? Malware that is exposing the person's vote to some third party mm-hmm. um, or is modifying the vote or is uh, just throwing the vote away without telling the voter that, so making him think he's voted, but he hasn't voted. Mm. Um, that malware uh, is not affected by and cannot be detected by the blockchain or the back end at all. The blockchain does nothing about that. The vote has to be transmitted mm-hmm. um, from, the, from the voter's device to the server on the other end. That vote may be blocked or thrown away or otherwise uh, disturbed by a denial of service attack, for example, on the server. Um, a blockchain server is no more invulnerable to a denial of service attack than any other back-end service. And that would mean, that just, to, just to clarify, a denial of service attack in this case, if it's election day and people are using this app to cast their vote and they can't get it through because of a denial of service attack, then their vote will never get through, whether it's accurately recorded or not, correct? 
so it won't be accurately recorded because it won't even get through. Right. That's right. Right. So, um, and a blockchain is is no more or less vulnerable to a, that kind of denial of service attack than mm-hmm. an ordinary uh, backend database mm-hmm. is. If your ballot gets through all of those hazards undamaged and without being um, exposed to some third party, then the the ballot is stored in the blockchain, and then it's relatively secure from that point on. But that's not where the main hazard has ever been. We've always been concerned about the ballot actually getting safely to the server, you know, without being disturbed along the way. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's still the concern. The blockchain actually does nothing to um, prevent most of the attacks that we're that we're worried about. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of a the blockchain is. I'm going to use a disparaging word here. It's it's kind of a fad when it comes to uh, to voting technology. Mm-hmm. The term blockchain, of course, comes from a related technology, and that you mentioned earlier, from Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. It's part of the Bitcoin cryptocurrency and other cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. But the blockchain that's used in voting systems doesn't resemble much the one used in Bitcoin, and there's no great necessity for it in a voting system as there is in a cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrencies are, do not very much resemble voting systems, and, and it's a mystery to me why uh, so many, uh, I guess, naive voting system entrepreneurs mm-hmm. have latched on to blockchains as a suitable technology for voting. I, I can give you an example sure. of the why blockchains for voting don't make the same kind of sense that they do for cryptocurrencies. Right. In cryptocurrencies, what one of the central concerns is um, are people trying to use the same coin to buy two different things? Are you trying to use the same Bitcoin mm-hmm. to purchase two different things? And that's called double spending. Mm-hmm. And it it resembles double voting. Uh, a little bit. It's like trying to to vote for uh, two different candidates using your same single vote. Mm-hmm. But it, it, when I say it's like that, it, it only superficially resembles it. And double voting is not, in fact, very much like double spending. And um, with double voting, you don't even need to prevent it. You can allow voters to vote as many times as they want in, a, in an election. All you have to do is make sure you only count one vote from each voter. The last time so, they vote, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the last the last time, and that that's that's a really easy thing to do. Whereas it's very difficult in a cryptocurrency because the, there's no uh, end date for cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency spending goes on forever, but there's mm-hmm. a single end hour when the election is over, and at that point you count the ballots, and all you have to do is just make sure you don't count more than one ballot per voter, and so you've solved the double. Right. Voting problem, and, and that's so the cryptocurrencies are not like elections at all, and there's there's no real need to adopt cryptocurrency technology as a backend for internet voting, and, even and, if internet voting were otherwise safe, which and, it isn't. And and that was one of the points that I wanted to make because uh, I I do want to ask you about you know solutions here in in a quick moment, um, but. I use the word advisedly because it's not altogether clear that everyone even agrees on what the actual problem is that many people are trying to solve here. Uh, David, you you cite um, you went through that list of of concerns that you have with 
uh, internet voting and this particular app that is being used right now in a live election in West Virginia in our midterm elections. Uh, You went through, you know, malware, denial of service, authenticating the voter, etc. There's another uh, point that you made in your paper on this at Verified Voting, which is that None of this is ultimately auditable. In other words, it is not overseeable by the public after an election, even if everything before it was secure. Is that correct? Yes. Now, the claims, claims of auditability are sometimes made, um, but, they, but they're not usually explicated, and they certainly don't mean what we mean by auditability. Mm-hmm. Um, what we mean by auditability is you want a contemporaneous, unforgeable, hard-coded record of the voter's intent at the moment that he voted. Mm -hmm. And then you would like to be able to compare the vote counts Mm -hmm. that you get that are produced by software. You would like to be able to compare those counts to those original hard copy read paper Mm -hmm. uh, records of the voter's intent. Well, you can't do that with any kind of Internet voting system because there is no hard copy paper record of the voter's intent. Um, And so... Uh, there's nothing to audit from. There's no foundation for auditing. There is a claim made for um, Internet voting systems in general and blockchain voting systems in particular that uh, a voter may be able to look up his own ballot and find it on the blockchain because the blockchain contents is supposed to be made public. Mm-hmm. Um, and a voter might find his own ballot on there and verify that it's there and verify that it is correct. But this is a very weak form of, of verification. It's not comparable at all to the kind of auditability I talked about earlier. Yeah. And, and it's not comparable for a few reasons. Um, and first of all, it, it would not detect um, phony ballots that are stuffing the ballot box because there's no voter who would look at them. Ah, uh, to check, and, yeah. Uh, and if you did discover that your ballot wasn't there or you discovered that it was recorded incorrectly... Um, there's nothing you could do about it. You could report it, but you can't prove Mm. that your ballot was recorded incorrectly. You can't prove that your ballot is missing. Mm -hmm. And uh, you better not be able to prove it, because if you could, that would violate vote privacy. It would mean you could prove to some third party how you voted. And, of course, that's a fundamental uh, no-no for for election systems. That would lead to being able to buy and sell your vote after an election, for example. Right. And uh, and just to underscore your point, let's say, a, uh, you know, a, a, a voter was uh, unhappy that uh, Donald Trump ended up winning in 2016. Well, they could go online and say, look, I voted for Hillary Clinton and I, my vote wasn't. Ca-. I mean, it would be to, to right. be able to prove anything after the election is over is is essentially meaningless and so when it comes to auditability uh, david and you know we're talking not about you know one single voter being able to prove whether that's a good idea or not that the system recorded them accurately we're talking about the public being able to right. look at all of these votes and know that all of these votes were recorded accurately as per voter intent and that there are no phony ones in there as well mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's yeah. what auditability gives you, and uh, and there just isn't any possibility of auditability in any online voting system. And blockchains, 
uh, don't change that fact. And I think uh, I know that uh, you and I have uh, quibbled over the years about, uh, you know, what auditability really would require. I've uh, argued that it requires a hand-marked paper ballot that we can know was actually uh, reflecting the voter intent. Folks uh, at, at Verified Voting have said, well, as long as we have a paper record, whether it's hand-marked or not, that that would be sufficient. So we can quibble about that, but none of that is available uh, with uh, any of the Internet voting solutions that I've uh, come across. And so as a long-time Computer uh, scientist expert David Jefferson, who's worked with many other computer science, security, and, and voting machine experts on this. Uh, you are hardly a Luddite, but what is the solution uh, as you and your colleagues now see it some 20 years after you have, uh, after you have been on this beat? Well, so there, uh, there's voting in the precinct, which should be on paper ballots. And, and frankly, I prefer hand-marked paper ballots, too, by mm -hmm. the way, so I... I Mm -hmm. I endorse your idea that it, it, the, if, you're, if you're going to vote in person at the precinct, it, the best system is to, is to hand mark a paper ballot, which then gets um, scanned and counted electronically, but is subject to, audit, uh, to auditing mm -hmm. after the election so that those, the machine counts can be mm -hmm. compared to at least a random sample of the uh, hand marked paper ballots. Mm -hmm. That's if you are voting at the precinct. If you are remote, meaning you're traveling or you're overseas or you're in the military mm -hmm. or you are uh, confined and, and can't go to a precinct to vote, then the best solution is mail-in paper ballots, not any kind of online voting mm -hmm. system. And those are also hand-marked, I should note. And uh, before I let you so go here... Those would be handmarked. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, because I'm I'm very concerned and I see a lot of, uh, you know, Democrats, as I said at the top here, are seem to be the ones who are most worried about uh, our election security at this point. That seems to change depending on whoever happens to be in office at any given time. But I'm, I'm quite concerned because I see a lot of uh, Democrats out there pushing for essentially what are touchscreen ballot marking devices that will print out instead of a handmarked ballot. It will print out either a barcoded ballot or a, uh, a, a, a human readable ballot summary, but it's printed by the computer. So it's very difficult to authenticate after an election that it actually reflects the will of the voters. I know a lot of jurisdictions are going to be going to those, including uh, here in Los Angeles, the largest voting jurisdiction in the country is set to do this. Do you have concerns about these computer marked, computer printed, barcoded paper ballots that uh, many now, uh, including Democrats, seem to be calling for? Well, speaking for myself alone, I prefer the hand marked paper ballots for a number of reasons. Um, the critical thing that you need to know, that one needs to know, is that the voter has actually certain that the ballot um, uh, represents his choices or her choices at mm -hmm. the time of voting. If the, if the ballot is printed by a ballot marking device, you then have to trust that the voter is actually going to re-examine that ballot and, re, and uh, reconfirm every single vote and non-vote on that ballot, mm -hmm. uh, however it's encoded. And uh, frankly, there's uh, considerable evidence that, that a lot of voters don't do that or at all or don't do it uh, with the same attention that it requires. Mm -hmm. So I prefer the hand-marked hand paper ballots uh, as well. 
Um, the other concern is this, that, a, that um, ballot marking devices, um, they cost, you know, $1,000 a piece, and only, only uh, three or four voters per precinct can be voting mm-hmm. simultaneously when, when you only have three or four ballot marking devices. Yep. Um, and with hand-marked paper ballots, you know, the, uh, you can get 20 voters voting in parallel if you have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 20 cheap cardboard privacy booths around right. and, and 20 pencils. Right. And then, uh, so there's no, so, you know, there, there are far fewer lines build up with pencils and, on paper instead of ballot marking devices. And the cost is so radically reduced with paper and pencil. Um, I dramatically, I strongly prefer that, except for voters with disabilities who need some, uh, uh, some aid in mm-hmm producing a marked ballot an assistive device sure and uh again david jefferson is no luddite but he is calling for paper and uh at least pens when it comes to uh hand marking paper ballots uh as the most secure technology that we currently have uh and i think uh, david you may have uh, lowballed it there by saying those machines cost about a thousand apiece i think they cost a lot more than that but uh, but I take your point. I'm going to uh, point folks over to your important paper, The Myth of Secure Blockchain Voting. Uh, and David, I just want to thank you for your years of service uh, and, and you know, being willing to join us uh, here on the broadcast or, uh, you know, give us quotes for bradblog.com in this long, years-long fight against Internet voting and the threat that it poses. Thank, thank you for all you continue to do, my friend. Okay, thank you very much. You bet. You can find uh, David's paper, The Myth of Secure Blockchain Voting, at verifiedvoting.org. Thanks again, Dr. David Jefferson. Okay, running late here, so let me uh, get out, take a quick break, and we'll be back with our closing few minutes on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate And thanks. Yes. This is a message to young Americans. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, I'm glad that David Jefferson mentioned at the end there about... Uh, the fact that when you use a voting machine, you can only have, you know, three or four or whatever number of people you have in the uh, whatever number of machines you have in the yes. precinct. It's a limiting factor. Instead of paper ballots. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I suspect we are seeing three hour lines during early voting in Georgia and Cobb County on the third day of early voting. Because they make them use those 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting machines. It's obscene. All right, very quickly, where I know we're running late, we often hear uh, old people like me calling out young voters for not voting. Well, they do vote, but not nearly at the same rates as older voters. And, of course, when 
Uh, many of them try to vote. They are blocked, student voters and so forth. But yes, young voters, if they turn out in numbers, even close to, even comparable to older voters, those young voters can make all the difference in just about every race across the entire country this year. A group by the name of uh, Knock the Vote, however, which you can find on Facebook at Knock the Vote or on the Internet, Knock the Dot Vote. They released a video recently with a bunch of older voters with some of their thoughts on young people voting or in this case, not voting. Dear young people, don't vote. Don't vote. Everything's fine the way it is. Trump, that was us. He's our guy. Tax cuts for the rich? <laughs> Hell yeah, I'm rich as f Climate change? That's a you problem. I'll be dead soon. Sure, school shootings are sad. But I haven't been in a school for 50 years. I can't keep track of which lives matter. Sure you don't like it. So, you'll like some meme on Instagram. If the weather is nice, maybe you could go to one of those little marches. You might even share this video on Facebook. But you won't vote. You young people never do. But I do. I do. I do. Midterms, primaries. Every single election. We'll be there, but you won't. Because we're a generation of doers. Not whiners. And we're doing great. Oh, please prove those people wrong. <laughs> that was uh, knock the vote. All right, we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Verified Voting's Dr. David Jefferson, and all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. And if you missed any portion of today's show or any other, Download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. If you don't mind, please consider stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi and me continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 